uh, reminded before I start the sermon of something that I was told yesterday, and Taryn will appreciate that because we were there together. But Bishop Fairley mentioned uh, yesterday that uh, a lot of times when you used to go to the old train stations, you used to find uh, pews like this, train stations, bus stations, where you'd sit and you'd wait for your bus to show up or you'd wait for your train to show up. Well, what I'd like to tell you today is this is not a train station. This is not a bus station. This is a mission station. You're not waiting for the train that's going to take you to heaven. You're here to bring people in so that you can all go to heaven. You're here as a mission station to reach out to show the love and the grace that's Jesus Christ. You're here to be active, not to sit and wait, but to be active serving the Lord and serving his kingdom. So you might just want to remember that. That was shared with us yesterday. We're not a train station. We're a mission station. I want to share with you today from the Gospel of John. I told you these last few sermons are all taken from that gospel because it has such a powerful uh, effect on me. It's a gospel that I truly, truly enjoy. It's inspiring to me. And I want to go to the 21st chapter and start there with the first verse. You can pick up your Bibles, read it there, read it on the screen. But this is Jesus appearing to seven disciples as John writes these words. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The disciples are despondent. They are depressed. 
Their entire world has collapsed around them. The Lord has been crucified. This Savior, this Messiah that they have been following for three years is now dead, gone, and buried. What are we to do? This story takes place probably a week or so, maybe two weeks after the resurrection. And we can assume that many of the disciples have at least heard about the resurrection. And some, in fact, we're pretty sure have actually experienced the resurrected Christ. They didn't know what was going on. If you look at this story along with the story of the upper room, it's obvious that the disciples do not fully understand the significance of the resurrection on them. After all, this had never happened before. They were still confused. They were bewildered. What would any intelligent person try to do in the midst of all of this? Well, any intelligent person would say what? Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. That's exactly what Peter did. That's what these other disciples, they did. This was their comfort level. This is what they knew so well. They gravitated back to that where they felt comfortable, where they were in control of things. Let's go fishing. Let's play golf. Let's do something where we know what's happening. So they go. They go. But the night only brings what? Darkness and empty nets. And here we are in the morning, they're probably tired and hungry, and they remain probably downcast and despondent. But suddenly, as the sun begins to peak up around those eastern hills of the shore of Galilee, there is a voice. There's a voice from the beach cutting through the mist, and it's Jesus calling them. They fail to recognize him, but they hear the voice. Now, it may have been the morning mist. Maybe that's why they couldn't see him. But we already know that it was certainly not uncommon in post-resurrection stories that followers did not immediately recognize Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? Calls to him and says, Children, have you caught any fish? Children is probably not the best interpretation of the Greek there. Probably it could be more along the line of lads. Lads! Lads, have you caught any fish? Or perhaps, lads and lassies, have you caught any fish? And the disciples responded only with the voice of no, not a thing. We didn't even catch a bite. Not a thing. And then the voice in the mist immediately calls back and says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they do it, and they pull it in, and it's full of fish. 153. Did you know during that time, it was thought there were 153 species of fish? So they caught every species of fish. It's a good story. It's probably not a total true story, but it's a good story. But they hauled the fish in, and that's when John, the beloved, said, It's the Lord. Turning to Peter, he recognizes now who this is and what's going on. It's the Lord. Apparently, this incident brought back another incident with which we should be familiar. When Jesus originally called his disciples, you remember the incident in Luke chapter 5? You should. Jesus was calling his first disciples, and even though they had been fishing out all night long, they had caught nothing. And what does Jesus tell them? Put out into the deep water. And let down your nets. 
It's no wonder of that voice from the shore, cast your net on the right side. It's no wonder that Simon Peter and John's ears didn't perk up. They'd seen this before. This is deja vu. It's happening all over again. And a moment later, as they're dragging all this fish into the boat, John is turning to Peter saying, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Peter could hardly contain himself. We're told he put on his outer cloak because he's stripped for work. He jumps in the water. He wants to get to the shore as quickly as possible. But the question remains, why? Why does Peter want to get to the shore so quickly? Why is he so excited? Everyone else stayed in the boat. Everybody else was busy hauling in 153 fish, but not Peter. Perhaps there's a couple of clues in the text. One, it says, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. A charcoal fire. Do you know that phrase is only used one other time in the entire Bible? One other place. Perhaps that's the key to Peter's excitement. Back in Caiaphas's courtyard, when the maid who kept the door to the court of the high priest said to Peter, Are you also one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. And now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. Now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. And they said to him, Are you not also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a kinsman of the man whose ear Peter had cut off in the garden of Gethsemane, said, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied and said, no, I don't know him. I love the way that Luke portrays Peter's emotional response. Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And we're told that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now the connection. Now one of the connections is made. The connection to the use of the charcoal fire, both in Caiaphas's courtyard and now here on the beach of Galilee. Try, feel it if you will, the immense weight of the guilt that Peter must be feeling. The shame that must be welling up inside of him. After all, this is Peter. Peter the rock. The first one to make the confession, you, you are the Christ. He is the faithful, the well-meaning, the loud-mouthed disciple who blurted out, Lord, even if all the others fall away, I will give my life for you. This is the one that denied Jesus three times. If anyone could feel so ashamed, if anyone could be felt more guilt, I don't know who it could possibly be other than Peter. Afraid probably even show his face to Jesus because he had betrayed his Lord. If anyone ever stood in need of forgiveness that morning on the shore of Galilee, it was Simon Peter. And so he makes his way to the shore. He probably leapt impetuously out of the boat just to try to get and see who it was. And then the closer he gets and he sees the fire, that charcoal fire, then he sees Jesus warming himself and it all comes flooding back. 
Caiaphas' courtyard. Denial. And the loss of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was there, and Peter must have lowered his eyes. How in the world could he ever face his Lord again? But what happens? What happens? Does Jesus reproach him? Does Jesus blame him? Does Jesus stand up and call him a traitor, a deserter? No, not at all. There's already fish on the fire. There's even some bread there. But we're led to believe it wasn't quite enough, maybe just for two or three disciples. There wasn't enough already cooking. So we think for a moment. Apparently, when the boat arrived, there were going to be six more to feed. What were we going to do? We didn't have enough food. The second thought. Where else do we see bread and fish and not enough to go around? In Mark, in Mark, don't we read about the crowd who was hungry and the disciples who only had food for themselves and they desperately wanted Jesus to turn them away? Go let them go get their own lunch. We've got enough just for ourselves. And what does Jesus do then? He takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds the multitude. So here we are on that sandy beach of the north shore of Galilee. Peter is waiting, and Jesus says, bring me some fish that you've caught. And Peter, Peter, just like the child we've all been, when we've done something wrong and we desperately want to ask for forgiveness from our parents, when we desperately want to do something that's right, he runs, he gets in the boat. And Peter doesn't just bring two or three fish. No! Peter hauls the whole thing, the whole net full of 153 fish. He brings it all, went aboard, hauls the net in full of fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. At this point, I can envision Peter dragging that net full of fish through the sand, stepping up close to Jesus, eyes averted, waiting to see whether Jesus will acknowledge him and what he's done. And Jesus' eyes and Peter's eyes, they meet just for a moment. Peter's eyes probably filled with fear and probably even tears. And Jesus' eyes as soft and as loving and as forgiving as always. And then Jesus smiles. And he offers the invitation that he offered at the Last Supper. He offers the invitation he did to the 5,000 on the hillside or to the 4,000 that he fed. He offers the invitation that he offers all of us when we sit down to a meal and we pray over that food. Come, eat with me. Come, have breakfast with me. And as we hear that invitation this morning, as we think about what we are about to do, when we come to this communion rail, remember that there is no sin so dark, so deep, to keep any of us away from his table. Nothing that we have ever done cannot be forgiven. Nothing should ever keep us away from this table, his table. Let me ask you a question. If you think about it, don't you believe we're all Simon Peters 
in some way, shape, form, or fashion. One moment warming ourselves at the fire of denial and the next moment warming ourselves at the fire of forgiveness. We go back and forth. And yet what I want to tell you today is that Jesus will continue to be Jesus despite whatever we do. Jesus is still there for us. Just like he was there for Simon Peter on that beach and the rest of those disciples. Have you ever wondered what goes through the mind of God when you come down these aisles to partake in the sacrament of Holy Communion? Because he already knows your hearts. Have you ever thought of all the things that you have done wrong? The temptations that you've succumbed to? And wondered, why am I even going down there? I don't rate going down there. Why should I even be coming forward to his table? He already knows your heart. Have you ever paused for a moment and thought right before you put the bread in your mouth, I'm not worthy. I've denied Jesus Christ far too many times. And he still knows your heart. I want you to remember this story. The story of a person just like you and just like me Ashamed, humble, terrified, lost, just like you and me. And with that soft glance and that warm smile and that gesture, Christ invites Simon Peter, just like he's invited people throughout all the centuries, to come to his table. That's what's happening. Whether you know it or not, that's what's happening here and now. It's Jesus saying, come, come, have breakfast with me. Have breakfast with me and let me love you and forgive you and strengthen you all the days of your life. you bow your heads with me, please?